Good morning, everyone. Good. Uh, I'm grateful to be with you all this morning on this Monday and on this short week where we just have two days and then a wonderful Thanksgiving break. How many of you are excited about that? Um, but this week we are... Uh, this, these next two days, you're focusing on, uh, on gratitude and on grateful living. And um, so today, uh, we have the, the privilege of hearing um, from Nina Barnes, who was one who I don't think maybe needs much of an introduction. Uh, as many students know her, uh, she has served in multiple capacities over the last almost 18, 19 years at Northwestern, uh, having a long tenure in HR, um, and for the last uh, five or so years in, in student life and started as the Dean of Spiritual Formation um, for a few years in the last two years uh, as our VP of Student Life. And I can tell you out of almost anyone else I know, Nina embodies a grateful um, uh, living type of, of, of attitude, really as a lifestyle of, of gratitude. And um, I am honored to call her uh, my sister, my friend, a mentor, supervisor, um, so many different hats that she wears, but um, it is a real honor and a gift for us to be able to hear from her this morning. And, and then tomorrow, um, we're going to have an experiential prayer chapel where we're really just going to open up Night Hall to give you space and different types of prayer stations and some real um, tracks to run on as you can continue that attitude of thanksgiving and to know how to live out that grateful lifestyle as you head back home and as we spend time on Thanksgiving break. Um, but let me pray for Nina and for ourselves as she shares with us. Mm. Father in heaven, we want to boast this morning in Jesus Christ. In his death and his resurrection, we are grateful for the gospel. And we are so grateful for this dear servant and our sister Nina. Thank you, Father, for bringing her here to Northwestern. Thank you for the way that she is for students here and the love that she has for every single person in this room and on this campus. I pray that that would shine through, that as she shares with us, that your spirit would energize her, ener energize her would animate her, uh, would, would give her strength um, in the midst of her weakness to show your sufficient grace. And that as we look to the gospel together, that our hearts would be refreshed with gratitude. That no matter what season we are in, no matter what circumstance we are facing, that we can and are called to be a grateful people. And so, Lord, we love you. Thank you for loving us first. May our hearts be good soil to receive from you through Nina today. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Justin. Good morning. I don't get the, good morning, Nina. Where are my people? Thank you. Not that I'm envious of the good morning that Justin gets. I just wanted to share in some of that. Thanksgiving week. Thanksgiving can be such a mixed bag. Holidays can be hard. So I wanna, I wanna acknowledge that as we start this morning. Why are we thankful? Beyond the fact that it's a federal holiday, why is the people of God are we thankful? And then how do we express gratitude?
think I'm going to need you all to take it from here. <laughs> you can go to the next slide. So as I said, it, it can be a mixed bag with Thanksgiving. You may not be feeling thankful at all this morning. Circumstances may be really stressful. For some of you, the thought of going home is you're excited about it, and for some of you, that is the cause of stress. For some of you, you may not be going home, and that could be causing stress. Life may be very hard. As we were led in worship this morning, I was struck by the words, I will not boast in anything except Jesus Christ. And I'm standing here before you thankful and yet struggling. You may be noticing that. I'm struggling at the same time. Had a sudden, unexpected loss of life in my family. And um, I'm still struggling with that and I will be for a while. So when I was asked this morning, how was I doing? I said, it is well with my soul because that is, that's what I'm proclaiming. That's the truth that I'm holding on to. So this morning, what I wanna share with you is not what I originally planned to share. I want us to go back to the gospel. The simplicity and the complexity all at the same time of the gospel. Without the planning of it, the songs that we already sang about the deep love of God. One of my favorite, and I know we're not supposed to technically have a favorite passage, but if I had to pick a chapter of scripture that speaks to me throughout almost any season of life, it's, it's Romans 8. And the end of that chapter, I'm going to start reading from verses uh, 31 the second half of verse 31. If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his only son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares, who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one, for Christ, for Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us, and he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? And sometimes that sits here. And so my hope today is that these words of scripture, and I'm going to be reading a lot of scripture, that those words sink deep into all of our hearts, that they sink deep into our souls, that they take root in our minds, and we meditate on those words of scripture. The truth 
that no power in the sky above or in the earth below, indeed nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. And you might ask, really, Jesus loves us that much? That might be the question that rises up. Not one that you'd want to say out loud, but it rises up. Really, is that all that it takes? What's the catch? What's required of us? All of that love? So I want to read from Matthew 22. Jesus was asked this question. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? And Jesus replied, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally as important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. That's it. All of the law and all of the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. That seems too simple, doesn't it? Now we know though, living that out can be a little bit more complicated, but the simplicity is that all we have to do is love the Lord our God with all our hearts, our soul, and our minds, and then love our neighbor as ourselves. When you look at the Ten Commandments, they're really broken up into two sections. One is about loving God, and then the later commandments are about loving each other. Recorded in John 8, Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now we know recorded in John 14, Jesus describes himself as the truth. He describes himself as the way, the truth, and the life. So knowing the truth means to know Jesus. To study his life. To truly live the way that he lived. Now we can't live the way that he lived. We don't live in the first century. But we pattern our lives after his life. As Jesus was preparing for the end of his earthly life, we read in John 13, the passage where it's the Last Supper, Jesus said, so now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Did you catch that last passage, that last verse? Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Jesus said something similar in a prayer recorded in John 17. And it's referred to as his high priestly prayer, where he is praying for his disciples, and then he makes a statement that he's praying for all of those who will ever believe because of the words of his disciples being spread. He was praying for us. 
And he prayed something very similar, that our love for one another would prove to the world that God had sent him. So our unity is not just a nice idea. Our greatest witness to the world is that we express the love of Jesus for people who don't think like us, don't believe like us, that are different in, in a multitude of ways. That is our greatest witness. Not what we say to the world about Jesus, but what we show the world about how we live and how we love, even when we're not loved. So we can preach great messages. We can have platforms where we vote a certain way and we hope people understand by the way we vote who Jesus is, but it's our unity. It's our unity with the people who don't vote like us. It's our unity with the people who don't believe and express their love for Jesus in the same way. For people from de different denominations or non-denominations, all of the ways that we can be diverse. Our love for one another, because Jesus doesn't give any caveats in this. He doesn't give us an escape clause. There are no, but you don't have to love them, whoever the them are. He doesn't include that. It's our love for one another and our love for the world. In another passage, somebody asks, well, who is my neighbor? And he tells a story. We call it the story of the Good Samaritan, but he points to a person who they would definitely get would be the other. A person who's a Samaritan, who was called the half-breeds, who these were not people that Jews associated with. They went around Samaria. They didn't even want to travel through the same land, even though that was the most direct route to Jerusalem from the northern part of Israel. That's who he says is our neighbor. So I think we can catch from that. It's those people. Whoever the those people are, that's who he's calling us to love. A simplicity, and yet it's challenging, which means we're going to have to humble ourselves. So in John 14, this is... Now, Jesus giving teachings. He's trying to prepare his close group for the fact that he's about to leave. And they're not catching all of it. He's talking about when I leave you, and they're saying, where are you going? They're just not understanding that he's about to leave them. So in John 14, Jesus says, if you love me, obey my commandments. Now, he's already told us what his commandments were. In John 13, he has told us what his commandment is, his new commandment, is that we should love each other. So now again, he's saying, if you love me, obey my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads you into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him, but you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. I'm leaving you with a gift, 
peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. And sometimes we can be on pursuits that are good. They're righteous pursuits. But if the pursuit becomes the thing, a pursuit for justice is a righteous pursuit. A pursuit for life is a righteous pursuit. But if that becomes the end all, if we depend on achieving that pursuit in order to have peace, we'll miss it because we won't have peace from that. The peace comes from being the beloved of God. Not because we've achieved something or didn't achieve something. Even a righteous pursuit in and of itself is not the end and will not bring peace. Doesn't mean we don't do it, we do. We must. But our peace won't come from that because we don't know what's gonna happen. We can't predict the outcome. So just a little bit later, recorded in John 15, Jesus says, I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. And remember what his commandment is, to love God and to love one another. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. And you are my friends if you do what I command. And this is my command, love each other. I think there's a pattern here. You know, when, when somebody is about to die, when they're nearing the end of life, we should pay close attention to what they say. And what is Jesus focused on? at the end of his earthly life? What does he want us to pay attention to? What is he repeating over and over? He doesn't want us to get caught up in a lot of arbitrary laws that he knows we create. He says one thing and then we create all kinds of laws and rules to try to keep, keep us within a certain, kind of the guardrails. So he keeps going back to what is his commandment? Love each other. So these passages that I've read about love, the, the initial passage, Paul's interpretation of Jesus' life, Paul in Romans 8 is translating what this love of God means. He himself experienced the extraordinary love of God, literally knocked off his horse, arrested, stopped in the middle of his pursuit for what he thought was a righteous cause. He thought persecuting these heretics, these believers in Jesus, persecuting them even to the point of death, he thought that was a righteous cause. He was passionate about it. He was singularly focused on it until he met Jesus and did a 180. So Paul knows what he's talking about when he talks about the love of God. So what might these passages awaken in you? These were some of the words that came to me. Treasured. 
I hear these passages and I feel treasured, which makes me thankful. Hope rises in me and causes me to believe in spite of all of my flaws, in spite of my sin, that I can trust, that I, I hear those passages and I'm reassured, not just of my salvation, I'm reassured that I'm deeply loved, not in spite of, but because of who I am, because of who God made me to be. He knows me. And it draws out a humility. I feel that I can come close. I can lean in and I can confess where I fall short every day. And I can do that without feeling shame because I know that I'm loved. And that brings about a devotion, a devotion that then leads to a commitment, a commitment to be better, to love better. And it becomes a conviction, a deep conviction beyond just a, a commitment that might be on the emotional end, a deep conviction and an obedience. What is God asking me to do? What is God inviting me to do? What is Jesus commanded me to do? To love. Even people that I, in my humanness, might think don't deserve to be loved. How dare I say anybody doesn't deserve to be loved when, when God says they do? So that obedience to sometimes through gritted teeth, go, Lord, I need you to show me how because I don't know how to love this person. They've hurt me. I don't know how to love them. And then out of that comes a gratitude. a gratitude and a love. So Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. I want us to go back to that. He said that to the people who believed in him. We're his disciples truly if we remain faithful to his teachings. And what was his teaching? a new commandment, that we love each other. So now I'm giving you a new commandment, love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. So our faithful obedience manifest in cooperation with the Holy Spirit. We cannot love without the Holy Spirit, not this kind of love. We can't do this without the Holy Spirit. And we don't have to. He is our advocate. And a gratitude wells up in me. I can't speak for you. It's my hope that a gratitude will well up. And it's an outcome of being invited to be the hands, the feet, the eyes, the voice of Jesus. What words might you say today to someone where you're Jesus' voice to that person? where they feel hopeless. They might even be despairing. And your words, the Holy Spirit uses, like Jesus' voice. 
that we might begin living as an embodied expression of Jesus' love. Not just that we would do loving things, but that we would be the embodied expression of the love of Jesus. That is my prayer for you today. I'm going to invite you to stand, and we're going to be led in one more song before we uh, are dismissed.